1: MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
0: Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses?
2: I've heard the bifocal, but not
0: multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. Good morning. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, and welcome to Open Your Eyes Radio. Please listen as I discuss the newest information in the world of health, nutrition, and sports every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time on AM 1280, The Patriot. Also, please share your thoughts by emailing me at drkerrygelb@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's D-R-K-E-R-R-Y-G-E-L-B, and visit my new website at drkerrygelb.com. There's no denying that we live in a world surrounded by many sources of toxicity. It is estimated that we're exposed to over 700,000 different toxic chemicals daily. Our bodies are constantly bombarded with toxins from the air we breathe, the food we eat, the skin products we use. Over time, these accumulated toxins can burden our body, leading to fatigue and sluggishness. Environmental toxins have also been linked to cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, kidney disease, and even obesity. The importance of detoxification, the natural process through which our body eliminates harmful substances is often overlooked as an important health strategy. Today's guest, wellness enthusiast, Jeff Hoyt. Jeff's passion is to teach people how to improve their health through safe detoxification. Jeff is a world authority on the supplement Zeolite. Zeolite selectively removes toxic elements from our body while while sparing essential nutrients. Jeff, thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here.
0: You know, it's great to have you, Jeff. And, you know, for the people listening on the radio, make sure you you tune in to the podcast as well, because Jeff is a very handsome guy. You don't want to miss out on how handsome he is. So we're gonna talk about detoxification today. And Jeff, why is detoxification in your opinion, not part of, or a big part of Western medicine?
2: Well, I think that from what I've heard from a number of conventional Western doctors is that we don't need to detox because our bodies naturally do all the work for us. So they say we have a natural detoxification system, our kidneys, our livers, our skin, and everything that's coming into our body is just naturally leaving. Now, that's great in theory, but in reality with the number of just the toxic exposure that we're faced with in the 21st century, our bodies just generally cannot keep up with the level of toxins and that's where we need additional detox support so we can prevent that accumulation of these toxic elements over time, which lead to a number of issues.
0: And you talk to doctors all the time and doctors that are not familiar with detoxification. When I was a kid, we called it excretion. When I went to junior high school and high school, now we call it detoxification. Why do you think though, what do they tell you why they have left this out of their practice?
2: Well, generally there's just, they're, they're limited to one to what they've learned in medical school. So they've got the standard of care, what, what they're trained to do that they're, they can't really go outside of without getting in trouble. And that's what I think just the this current teaching is still that the body detoxes on its own. And then they do teach about there are, there are occasions where uh, chelation can be used. So synthetic chelators like an EDTA or something can be used for an acute lead poisoning or some sort of issue where you were just recently exposed. But they're really more focused on those short term emergency situations opposed to the long term uh, chronic situations that occur from just a slow buildup of toxins that were toxins that were exposed to basically on a daily basis.
0: When I look at the components of health, you know, it, sometimes it could be bro- broken down very simply into three components, genetics or epigenetics. Genetics really counts for only now we know 10 to 20% of disease, nutrition deficiency, nutrition excess, And then of course there's environmental toxins and our bodies are enzyme machines. And as our nutrition gets bad and we're, we're exposed to poisons, those enzymes aren't working very properly. So if you could talk to us about why it's important to detoxify.
2: Absolutely. And, and I, you know, those just toxicities and deficiencies, super simple, right? The challenge is a lot of people, are doing everything right, they're eating, they're doing the best they can, they're getting the proper nutrients, they're taking great supplements, they're getting nutrients from whole foods. But if they've got underlying toxicities, those toxicities in themselves could be resulting in the deficiencies. So I think you have to have a two step approach out with the bad and in with the good. So even if we're putting in all this great stuff from our bodies, if we don't remove the toxic elements, our efforts might be limited. And I say, living in the 21st century, we all have to be doing some sort of detox, right? We're not going to stay healthy by accident anymore. We have to take control of our health just to keep up with the stressors of 21st century living.
0: And we're going to go through what it takes to detox and i feel it's very very important when you look at some of the studies i mean there was a study at a columbia presbyterian and they looked at cancer and they look they over 95% i think it is or 99% of cancers are from environmental toxins and poor diet so when we look at the environment what are some of the things that are causing us to be toxic
2: Well, if you want, just the simple breakdown is food, water, and air. (laughs) So, right, lots of things. I mean, just, just from the water, you can go to the Environmental Working Group website and just type in your zip code and see a lot of the contaminants that are in your water supply, the tap water. Just think, even if it tastes good and you think you're drinking clean water, and we certainly have cleaner water than a lot of countries, but even that is loaded with a number of toxic elements, medication byproducts, uh metals plastics various things then you've got just pollutants in the air and the you know air quality is going to be different based on where you're living the, just the food in general the food has changed so much over the years from even from natural to to more unnatural even the natural foods today a lot of times are just really not natural anymore we've got genetic modification we've got these herbicides you know, pesticides all these things added to the foods and now we're being bombarded with chemicals, even from eating whole foods. And even when we're eating organic, which is, I think, ideal, a lot of times there's some cross-contamination where some of the glyphosate and some of these environmental toxins might go onto the organic fields and, and you're even getting some chemicals that way. So it's just very difficult to completely, if, if I don't think it's possible at all, to completely avoid toxicity. So that's why I think having an active detox protocol is, is a great strategy.
0: Yeah. And I want to go through some of the things that are in the food and in the water and in the air. And as we go through the discussion, we're going to do that. But I just want to give like a background a little bit. When it comes to toxins, there's persistent and non-persistent toxins. So the persistent toxins are the ones that are really hard to get rid of. They tend to be uh, man-made PCBs. If you could talk about that salmon why uh farm salmon is probably has the most pcbs than any other type of food that we eat so we think that we're eating salmon but we're eating healthy but we're eating farm salmon and it's full of pcbs if you could talk a little bit about that
2: yeah so and it's just it's just tricky because we always we're always trying to get the best food right it's just what is the best okay so we, we have all these thoughts but we're usually missing something so we say let's go with the farm raised salmon because maybe it doesn't have the mercury accumulation cuz it wasn't in the ocean but then we have the pcb issue so there's always there's always um it's it's hard to know exactly what the best option is generally i say just go with as natural as you can salmon naturally are in the ocean that's probably the best place to get them you still have to be careful because yes they're probably going to have some level of mercury once again that's where the detox comes in handy so if you are going to Enjoy some salmon every once in a while, it's probably going to be a good idea to take some sort of detox agent alongside it to help grab some of that mercury in the fish before it can accumulate in your body.
0: And if it says Atlantic salmon, to me, Atlantic's a cold word for being farmed. and uh, you know uh, you get wild salmon, Alaskan wild salmon or wild wild salmon in general. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between farm salmon and wild salmon?
2: so the far i mean the the natural is really going to be ideally you know someone has a boat in alaska and they're out there on the boat and they're fishing for the salmon and they hook you up with some of it right they give you some that's what i would consider natural salmon then you have these larger operations which some of them are still going to be okay they're going to be just grabbing large amounts of salmon from the natural ocean as possible. Then you've got the farm operations where you're just jamming a ton of salmon into a smaller area. They're farming them for mass consumption. And that's where some of the issues can come in.
0: We were talking about persistent toxins and I'm going to talk about non-persistent toxins, but persistent toxins are sometimes called forever toxins. You know, we talked a little bit about PCBs, uh, dioxins, but also the heavy metals are persistent can you talk about the heavy metals and which ones are persistent and why is it a problem if it is persistent versus on a a toxin that is non-persistent
2: sure so i mean persistent it's just it's going to persist in the body right it's going to be a lot harder to get rid of a lot of times these things are passed down from mother to child so children can actually be born with a lot of these toxins just passed through the umbilical cord so, that's an issue. And that's one reason it's very important for parents to go on a detox regimen before trying to get pregnant. Now, mercury is definitely one of the more toxic elements that can accumulate in tissue and also be passed on. There's a number of sources of that, but that, that one seems to be pretty toxic. I believe once you accumulate a certain amount of one of these metals like mercury, then you start accumulating the other metals quickly, more quickly as well, because your natural body's, uh, your body's natural detox processes start slowing down.
0: And you know, we were talking a little bit about the PCBs before, and uh, you know, they have been linked to rheumatoid arthritis, especially in females. There's been some studies in it, and but it's been outlawed in 1976. Why are we still getting it in our food supply? Do you yeah, have an they- idea for that?
2: Um, Well, I'd say a lot of things are outlawed, but there's sometimes with the laws, there's still trace amounts of these things that are allowed to be put in manufacturing, even if they're tech, you know, there's a, there's a safe or a legal limit that might be the law change. I'm not completely sure on this one, but then with the, with the persistent things, a lot of times they're passed on or they're just persisting in the environment because they're so hard to get rid of that. It's not like they're just all destroyed. They're just kind of whatever was produced is still going to be around because they're persisting or might still be exposed to some of those things.
0: You know, and then the persistent toxins is dioxin, which, you know, which when from incineration could build up and has been linked to cancer. And that is considered a persistent toxin. And then we're going to talk about in the end, you know, as we go into it about things that we could do, how we could get, try to get these things out of the body. But let's talk about, Oh, Also with persistent is the, the PCBs, the nonstick uh, pans that people
2: yeah. use, you
0: know, the you, what kind of pans do you think are best to cook in rather than the, these nonstick uh, are these PCBs leaching into our food?
2: Yes, I'd say they most likely are cookware is one of the, you know, surprising areas. Maybe it's not surprising, but it's, it's one of the um, areas where there's great, it can be great risk for toxin accumulation for a number of reasons. There's a lot of aluminum cookware as well. Anytime you're heating something up, you're going to be more likely to be exposed to that toxic element. So if you're putting nonstick cookware uh, in in an oven or just on the stove and you're heating this thing up to hundreds of degrees, they're going to be releasing a lot more toxins than when it's just uh, at room temperature. So yes, the nonstick things are notorious for being pretty toxic. There's a number of better options. Um, like the green pan, things like that, that are kind of alternatives to the nonstick, but they don't have all the toxic elements in them.
0: And how about, uh, you know, people that, this time of year, there's a lot of mosquitoes and people are spraying their skin with all this off and all this different type of bug spray. What's in that? And is that PCBs also, or is that something different?
2: Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, maybe you can help me out. Do you remember the name of that chemical? In the, uh, I, I, you know, in Prometha, It's on the tip of my tongue. It's a long name. Most of these chemicals have long names. They're hard to pronounce, but it's not good. If you can't pronounce it, usually it's not going to be that healthy for you. But yeah, in, anything that's going to be killing insects and is supposedly you know safe, I'm doing air quotes for those on the radio, safe for humans, or it's generally going to have some level of toxicity. And they're usually considered safe because there might not be immediate negative effects experienced by the by the human. But over time, as these things accumulate, they can start, like you said, breaking down enzymes, messing things up in the body and causing more, uh, more issues as time goes on. They're going to kill the mosquitoes right away, but it's going to take a lot longer to to hurt you.
0: You know, and then there's non-persistent uh toxins so we have persistent that's going to last in our body a long time a lot of these chemicals are hard to pronounce the dioxins you know the the heavy metals like mercury and lead and tin are going to stay in our body for a long time and we're going to talk about how to get get it out and then we talked about how some of these chemicals could be related to rheumatoid arthritis and now we're going to talk about non-persistent things that we could get out a little bit easier, such as arsenic and phthalates, which makes plastic soft, some fertilizers. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure, and, and those are the easier ones because the, it's when it comes to detox, it's really up to what your body wants to do, and it processes different toxins differently, so it's gonna process the persistent differently than in the non-persistent. So some of the metals that, in my opinion, are probably a little bit more toxic, those tend to be the persistent, your body likes to just jam them into fat cells as, as safekeeping. because if they're in the fat cells, it's temporarily to some extent, protecting you because they're not exposed to the immune system, trying to be excreted when your body's trying to naturally detox these things. Sometimes it becomes too much of a stressful experience. The immune system system starts attacking when the immune system attacks it equals inflammation. Inflammation equals a lot of symptoms. So I think that's one reason the body stores a lot of these persistence, but some of the less toxic ones are the ones that the body can ease, more easily process. When they come in, the body really just tries to get rid of them as quickly as possible. So it doesn't have that bioaccumulation over time.
0: You know, and, and I, I think it's interesting because probably about 50% of the toxins are, are persistent, 15% are non-persistent. And I think if we start with just getting rid of the non-persistent, we're going to feel a lot better. We start avoiding it. We start getting rid of it. And we're going to speak about that in a little bit. And then we have toxins that are produced by the body and external toxins. And, you know, I, I remember Sid Baker said, who is a famous physician in this area, said that 25% of all the energy used by the body is used for detoxification and uh if you have a comment on that
2: absolutely i and i like to call it i refer to it as detox energy and i think when the body is prior when there's other when your body has a certain amount of energy it has right so if 25 percent is normally designated towards detox but if you're under a serious an extremely stressful situation whether it's a mental stress maybe maybe it's a physiological stress you're battling some sort of infection, some something else, your body has to use some of that 25% generally designated towards detox, and it has to put it towards something else. So when you're under those situations, your body actually has to start accumulating some of those toxic elements because whatever it can't get out right of way, the body has to do something with. It can't just have everything floating around or it's exposed to the systems of the body for attack. So it jams it into fat. So I think that's one of the issues. One of the keys to an effective detox protocol is to reduce as many of the stressors on your body as you can. And when I say stress, I mean, anything that makes your body work harder than normal to stay in balance. That could be any number of things.
0: You know, so when we talk about the endogenous or toxins that the body produces, hormones is one of them. So we have hormones, the hormones do their job in the body and they need breakdowns like estrogen. Estrogen in females is circulating throughout the body doing its job gets broken down. But if the body's not working properly, it gets broken down to a carcinogenic type uh, product rather than when the body's working properly the estrogen is broken down into a non-carcinogenic byproduct. So if you could talk a little bit about that and how environmental poisons uh, affect the enzymes, which causes the breakdown of these hormones inside the body.
2: Sure. So the total toxicity we're exposed to on a daily basis is what I refer to as your daily dose of toxicity. We all have a certain amount. You've got daily dose from external toxicity, food, water, air, et cetera. And you've got the toxins that are internally produced. So that's going to be some metabolic waste products like ammonia, urea, some of the hormone breakdown products. That's going to be also microbial waste products. So if you've got microbial imbalance, those microbes are also producing um, waste products that are toxic as well. So when we have this daily load of toxicity that our body is struggling with just from and they're almost regenerative toxins, basically. So it's not that we're necessarily exposed externally. That, that's definitely the case, but then the internally produced toxins might make up the majority of toxicity. If you have all this going on, your body's not having a great, um, not able to handle it properly, everything in the body is gonna get messed up, right? So the natural processes, the enzymes, everything's gonna start um, getting disrupted and that's where things that generally could be excreted or transferred or converted properly in the body are gonna basically backfire and we're gonna have start having some issues with those things.
0: And let's talk about the gut. How is the gut related to detoxification?
2: Right. So the gut, I mean, I think Hippocrates said, right, all disease starts in the gut, all health starts in the gut. So it's, it's and it's a big trend right now, leaky gut and just healing the gut. Um, but if, for one, if if our gut is not in great shape and it's, it's permeable, it's a little bit, uh, as they call it, leaky, a lot of these toxic elements that would normally stay in the gut and then be excreted, End up sneaking past the gut, making their way to the bloodstream, where they're even more dangerous because that's where the immune system is really going to go in and start attacking them even more, and and that causes that inflammatory result, resulting in a bunch of symptoms. So he- healing the gut is definitely key to effective detox.
0: We're talking with Jeff Hoyt uh, from the CEO of Zeo- Zeolite Labs. When we return. We're going to talk about, are toxins the primary cause of chronic disease? You know, a lot of physicians feel that is the case. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes Radio on AM 1280, The Patriot, and watch our podca- podcast released every Monday morning on YouTube. Again, this is Dr. Kerry Gelb. We'll be right back.
1: MacU Health, your science born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science.
0: We're back with Jeff Hoyt, uh, CEO of Zeolite Labs, expert on zeolite for detoxification, expert on detoxification. And we're having a great discussion on detoxification, uh, something that's often ignored in medicine. And we left, I asked him a question are toxins the primary cause of chronic disease? So Jeff, what do you think?
2: I think that I have a little bit of an interesting answer to the question. One, I think absolutely they're a a huge, if not the most, the main contributing factor, one of the main contributing factors. But a lot of people that have a chronic disease, pretty much everyone that has a chronic disease has a high level of toxicity. So then the question is, is it the toxicity that caused the chronic disease or did the toxicity result from the chronic disease? And I think it can be both and usually a combination of the two, because let's say you develop a chronic disease from, from something else, some sort of you know strange virus or something. And then your body has to focus so much energy on that, that all the toxins coming into your body, your body doesn't have that energy to remove them naturally. So it just puts them into storage bins. Because that's why the body has a unique ability to store toxic elements. It has fat, so organs, tissue, and general fat areas where some of the other threats are more immediate that the body can't store. So I think if someone becomes sick from whatever purpose, then toxicity ends up occurring in that person and then becoming a contributing factor to the condition pretty much all the time. Otherwise, it could be that the toxins, the various toxins are causing the issue. And then they're just going to become more toxic as time goes on because their natural detox functions are going to shut down and they're continue accumulating toxic elements. And then some of the other cofactors become more problematic, like the microbes, because things like Lyme disease and these other uh, pathogenic microbes, they're opportunistic, meaning they need an opportunity to take over your body. So if you have a high toxic burden and your immune system is focused on these toxins, Now these bacteria and various things start replicating and causing havoc on the body because the body can't deal with everything going on.
0: And, you know, most of us have a lot of toxins in our body because of what we're exposed to. And we're not really aware of it. We're not really aware to stay away from toxins. And then most of us are not doing anything to detoxify on a regular basis so we are setting ourselves up for different types of diseases. I thought there was an interesting study, Dutch study, about diabetics. And they showed that, which, which was f- fabulous, that in this study, they said it wasn't related to sugar, which, you know, of course, I always thought diabetes and sugar were hand in hand and obesity. And they showed that they took obese people that didn't have toxicity Which they call di-diobesogens or this toxicity in their body, versus uh, people that had a lot of toxins that were thin, and the thin people with the toxins were more likely to get diabetes than the heavy people that didn't have the toxins, and they didn't correlate it with sugar at all. Now I'm not saying you should go out and eat sugar because. You know, as I we said before, most people are are full of toxins to begin with, but I think it shows how important toxins are and that the toxins block the insulin receptors. So if you could comment a little bit about that.
2: Absolutely. And and one of the interesting things in that scenario is that a lot of times, because in that case, the people that were heavier actually were, were less likely to have the issue than the skinnier people. Because when you consider how the body processes these things, if you have a very high toxic load that your body can't deal with on a daily basis, it has to put those toxins somewhere. So, if you have very little body fat, those toxins are often going to have to go to organs and and other tissue. But if you have extra body fat, the body will first put those toxic elements in just the general fat. And that's one reason a lot of people have difficulty, in my opinion, losing weight because the body is using that excess body fat as a safe keeping for the toxic elements. So if the body doesn't want to let go of the fat, because if it lets go of the fat, it releases the toxins. They then circulate and make their way to organs and can make you very sick. So one of the keys to, in my opinion, to an effective weight loss strategy is going to be to go on a detox protocol to start removing these toxic elements so that you can safely lose that fat.
0: You know, I've listened to Dr. Porzono, you probably have heard of him, Joseph who who is an expert on detoxification, and he makes that exact point that, you know, that weight loss is really getting rid of the toxins. Once you could get rid of the toxins, you could lose weight easier. If you could comment a little bit more on that, on weight loss, because a lot of people, you know, they're trying to lose weight. You know, even people that do lose weight, they always seem to have a little bit left over that last 10 or 15 pounds. And and I think you were at one time, you were a a, a, co- uh, a health coach. And so you probably dealt with this. You know, they had that last 10 to 15 pounds. That they just can't get rid of. They lost 100. But that last persistent 10 to 15 pounds. If you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. And the first thing I'd like to mention, because a lot of times when I say detox, people assume it's just you're on the toilet constantly and it's some sort of laxative effect. That's not what I'm talking about at all. <laughs> so that's not the result of the weight loss. It's not water loss. It's actually getting the body to remove these deeply stored metals and toxins that are resulting in an accumulation of body fat because the body is using that fat as a protective mechanism. So let's say you go on this protocol, you're doing incredible, you're doing the diet, you're doing the exercise. And like you said, you lose 100 pounds, but there's that last 15 pounds that you really don't need, you don't think you need, but you can't get rid of it. It might be that 15 pounds that the body says, I'm not gonna let you lose no matter what you do because I need this 15 pounds of body fat to house the toxins. So then if you were to remove those toxins from the fat, your body says, you know what? I don't need this fat anymore because its, it's purpose is, uh, doesn't is, is not needed anymore because we've removed the toxic elements.
0: And when you do remove the toxins, and we're going to go into detail on how to do that, a lot of times people get sick. They have like what we call a Herxheimer's reaction. If you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Absolutely. So in my opinion on this one, it's going to be a little bit different than a lot of people as well, where generally people... So just in general, the detox reaction occurs as you start stirring things up during detox. And what it's really a sign of is that you're you're becoming more toxic short term with the goal of becoming less toxic long term, because there's different levels of toxicity. You've got toxins floating around, then you've got toxins in tissue, you've got tissues, toxins and organ organs. So if you push some toxins from tissue or fat into your general circulation, that could, as it's on its way out of the body, that could result in a number of symptoms. Because if your body couldn't even keep up with the circulating toxins, you were kind of at your threshold. Then you moved more into that area. Now your body can't handle that level of toxicity. And that's where some things could um, just cause immune responses, inflammation, and potentially redistribute and find a new home, which is really not ideal. So in my opinion, if possible, it's best to detox without having or with minimizing those detox reactions as much as possible.
0: I mean, that's a great point. And I appreciate you bringing that up. I want to move on to phthalates, the plasticizers, things we see in vinyl products, lubricating oils, even personal care products like shampoos, hairsprays, soaps, and, uh, you know, they, they did a study, and to go back to diabetes for a second, in Australia, and they have half the incidence of diabetes in Australia is half the U.S., and they have half the amount of phthalates that they're exposed to than, than the U S so they they made some kind of correlation. So, but let's talk about phthalates. And as far as uh, blocking testosterone and uh, as an endocrine disruptor, if you could talk about phthalates uh, plasticizers, why they're in different products and what can we do to kind of prevent that?
2: Yeah, so I think there, I mean, there's a lot of plastics out there. Just with the manufacturing, we've got so much great stuff these days. Just the technology has advanced, the manufacturing's everything, you know, but they're they're not always concerned with the general health as they're manufacturing these products. They're looking for uh, cost, what's a cost effective and what's effective for a product. So when you have these phthalates and various things, we usually find out years later that, oh, maybe we shouldn't have been putting those things in the products. Maybe they shouldn't have been in the manufacturing products. A process but after that they're already out there they're in our bodies they're causing issues things like phthalates and, and plastics a lot of times will will mimic estrogen like xenoestrogens in the body which are going to then negatively um, impact the rest of your hormones so as you mentioned in men it can lower testosterone levels so that might be one of the contributing factors because men's testosterone levels are are very low now compared to what they used to be used to be even um just being being fertile men and women just that, that issue is kind of on the rise in fertility. So I think that the plastics and some of these toxic elements are contributing factors uh, to those things, just because they go in the body. The body doesn't know what to do with this stuff. The body's not naturally, you know, by design, the body wasn't really designed to handle this level of tox, toxic exposure we're facing. So it has to start adapting to these things. And it does that well. But when it's exposed to these things, the body gets confused and everything, just, just havoc is wreaked in the body.
0: You know, I did a really good podcast with Abraham Morgenteller on testosterone. So for those that are listening to this, go back, listen to that podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it. I mean, he's a world expert on testosterone. and But th- this is a problem. Men's testosterone are much, is much lower now than it was, say, 50, 70 years ago. And it's most likely because we're exposed to all these environmental toxins.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the, the more we can reduce our exposure, the better. Um, but yeah, to, it's it's there's no denying that there. There's, I mean, that just the advertisements I get for testosterone replacement therapy, and all these things are just booming. I never you know, saw any of that stuff. Maybe it's because I'm older now. but I never saw any of that stuff in the past, But these clinics are popping every up everywhere for testosterone replacement. And people are just feeling amazing sometimes when they do this stuff, because naturally, People, not naturally, but unnaturally from the toxic exposure, people's men's natural levels of testosterone seem to just be going down year by year.
0: I find it so interesting to learn about these toxins. And it's something I, we did not learn about anything when I was in school, nothing about it. So everything I learned about it is self-learned and doing detoxification, I in my house, I have an infrared sauna and I did detoxification every other day. What's your opinion of an infrared sauna and sweating to help with detoxification?
2: Oh, I, I love saunas of all of all shapes, sizes, and types personally. I think you've got I mean you've got normal saunas which heat you from the outside in, and then you've got infrared saunas which generally heat you from the inside out. So benefits to both. but just sweat therapy in general is going to be an you know very helpful for detox. Cause if you're not, that's, that's one of the ways skin is what is your largest detox organ, right? So if you're not removing these toxins from the skin, it, uh, you know, that's one of the ways to get them out. So a lot of people that have a high toxic burden actually don't sweat easy. That's one of the things they say. And then as they start going on these protocols, they start sweating and they say, Oh, I'm, I'm sweating all of a sudden. It's like, that's because naturally you're pushing stuff out, but saunas in general, I love them, whether it's a normal sauna, just for heat to sweat, or if it's an sauna, infrared sauna, which is going to be more for, you know, blood purification and starting to get the body to push some of these metals out from the, from the inside.
0: You know, we talked before a little bit about water and how about water filters? Do you have an opinion on water filters to clean water? Is it better to have a carbon filter? Is it better to have a reverse osmosis filter? Is it better to have both?
2: This is such a highly debated area, and uh, I definitely something should be done for the water. So let's just establish that right now. So when you're on the fence, do something, because something's going to be better than nothing. Um, The tap water is is generally going to be a disaster no matter where you're at, for the most part. I'm personally on well water, uh, purified, you know, it's cleaned, but I also do filter it through a carbon filtration system. Now, having said that, I've also used reverse osmosis quite a bit as well. It's debatable when I do reverse osmosis, generally what I'll do is I'll remineralize it because it just removes all of the good stuff and all of the bad stuff. So I'll do some sort of remineralization process. So, I mean, there's even some people that will, will drink just distilled water, but that, you know, that's really just, that could potentially be stripping essential minerals as you drink it, because as your body's trying to you know, process this water, if it doesn't have the minerals it needs, it's gonna take them from your cells. So I think that's the one thing to be aware of, and that is kind of a debatable topic, but I would say uh, the more pure the water, the better, but you also want to make sure there's some minerals left in it so your body can properly use the water.
0: And what kind of, how do you mineralize it? You just go to a place like Whole Foods and buy like a mineral supplement powder and just put it in, you use any type of salt, you know, Himalayan salt, what, yeah. what do you use to mineralize there, mineralize.
2: Sure. There's a number of options. There's, there's products you can add. There's like fulvic acid products. One thing is just is salt. Some people just take Redmond salt or some sort of salt, put a little bit in their water. If you get a salt rock, it's just a large salt rock. You can put it in a mason jar of water that will saturate to 26% salt. That's the maximum saturation. And that's what they call brine. You then take a half of a teaspoon of that brine, mix it with a gallon of, of your purified water. And that's a good balance. For uh, natural mineralization so make some brine with the natural sea salt take a half teaspoon mix it with a gallon of water and there you go. That's one option.
0: And I, I mean that's really good advice and you could get reverse osmosis filter you could call your uh, your typically uh, your water company or a company that sells water softeners could come to your house and install. A reverse osmosis filter. They could do a carbon filter for all the water coming into your house. So when you're taking a shower, that water, maybe they've taken out, it's taken out the chlorine. I don't think it takes out the fluoride, but it takes out for carbon, it takes out chlorine. And it doesn't take out all the arsenic, maybe some of the arsenic, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, and then we're going to go get into very heavy uh, on detoxification, what to do about it as we come up. But let's talk about lead for a minute. You know, when people get older, their bones start to break down a little bit, and lead and mercury starts coming out of the bones, and this has. There's been studies to show that when this starts happening, this could be a cause of, of cardiovascular disease, having lead circulating throughout the body. You could talk about lead a little bit.
2: Absolutely. Lead, I mean, lead is one of the more known toxic metals just because they've done studies on lead for you know, IQ in children and the issues. But then definitely different metals have a different attraction to different areas of your body. So lead, for example, is one of the metals that likes to accumulate itself in the bone. Now, for one, that can cause a lot of problems for bone health because lead competes for space in your bone cells with calcium. So a lot of times you displace the calcium, the lead goes in and that results in bone loss like osteopenia or osteoporosis. And then a lot of people have a difficult time reversing those things. They're taking calcium supplements, they're taking whatever else they're doing. It's not helping because they have to get rid of the lead first. Now, as they, if the body starts naturally releasing the lead through enzyme breakdown or whatever may be occurring, that's where the lead is going to be then released into circulation and it has to go somewhere. So if the body can get it out through the natural processes, then great, it's gone. But otherwise, whatever can't leave, that lead's going to re find a new home. And that might be in the brain. That might be in some other organ where it could be causing even more problems than it was in the bone to begin with. So lead is definitely very toxic. It's also synergistic. That's one thing to consider with toxicity. You want to look at the the actual toxic element, the level of that toxic element. You want to look at your immune system's reactivity to it. So some people, you you and I could have the same amount of lead, but if my immune system's overactive, I'm going to be responding more negatively to that lead than you are. Then you want to look at the synergy. So when you combine lead with mercury and aluminum and some of these other toxic metals, they become even more dangerous together than they are alone.
0: And let's talk about mercury. I mean, we talked a little bit about it uh, from dental amalgams or from the fish. Uh, where do we get the mercury? How do we get that accumulated in our body? And why is it so, so, such a problem for us?
2: I think it's, it's, it's definitely a problem. I would say it's the most toxic metal, the most, and the most common metal to cause a lot of serious health conditions of what it can do to the body. Um, it's, I would say, by far the number one exposure and result in accumulation of mercury is going to be from the amalgam fillings, because generally those amalgam fillings that have been put in people's mouths over the last hundred fifty years or so are made of about fifty percent silver. They call them silver amalgams, but they're fifty percent mercury as well, right? And the def, and that proximity of the mercury in, or your amalgams to your brain is what's most concerning because the mercury generally vaporizes. And it stores itself in fat and the the nearest fat to your teeth is going to be your brain. And there is some interesting research by Boyd Haley, who goes over the connection between and others who goes over the connection between mercury and um, Alzheimer's and some other issues. So I would say the amalgam fillings, which they're just now stopping in dentistry, it's taken them a long time, but now they're finally starting to replace those toxic elements kind of without admitting that maybe they weren't a great idea. But they're slowly transitioning them out. But clearly, putting something as toxic in metal as metal right next to your brain is probably not going to be ideal.
0: You know, and dentists, which use mercury their whole life, you know, and then they retire. I mean, this is just an n of one, but I have a family friend who is is a dentist. I mean, uh, he's an older fellow, but he has now he has definitely neurological. Uh, disease and I figured it's probably from being exposed to mercury and touching mercury his whole life and now uh, he has some form of uh, dementia and it's it's very sad so you know you know I I think really a mercury is something that you really want to try to stay away from and with fish you know big fish compared to like sardines could have a thousand times more mercury in it than little fish. So there's websites that you could look up to see what the mercury content of the fish, but you have to be very careful when you're eating fish.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's in a perfectly healthy individual that whatever mercury is coming in their body, they're able to naturally get rid of. It's less of an issue with someone who's not as healthy when they eat that same piece of fish. Their body might not be able to get rid of all the mercury and then every time you eat fish you're accumulating it so and
0: i think something also that's interesting is that we don't eat enough fiber americans don't eat enough fire fiber we're eating like 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day and it's not enough to be able to remove these toxins and some people that have problems with everything it's because they're not eating enough fiber. And if if they just eat enough fiber, maybe go up to 80 grams of fiber a day, a lot of times these super sensitive people will feel better.
2: Yeah, absolutely fiber, you know, some some sort of binding agent like that can be very helpful because things like fiber can help sop up some of these toxic elements in the gut, going back to gut health. Uh, And just that alone could be one of your top keys to uh, starting on a detox protocol.
1: MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
0: Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy.
2: OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today.